How's everyone doing today? I want to welcome you to the JC Santana podcast. My name is Rio Santana. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Let's go. Tell me about this stability ball. And I started with a whole proprioceptive unstable training bullshit. Boom, boom, boom. And then if you look at the NSCA journal, one of my, uh, um, one of my articles was on st- unstable training. And you know who called me out, and rightfully so? Mel Siff. Mel Siff called me out. And uh, I told Jeff Chandler, if this is the only thing that he can call me out for by articles, pretty good, because the late Mel Siff was a genius. I tell you all of this because this is context to the background, all right, to the background that we have with normal training, then John Blevernick came out with a whole balance training, one weekend of balance training and everything. And I went to John Blevernick and I started talking about the proprioceptively enriched training environment, unstable training environment, this, that, and the other. And now I'm more back to Mel Siff. You can't generate forces from an unstable surface or an unstable training environment. And he was right. And he was right. And I was wrong back then. I luckily always did my stable training, I did my bodybuilding, I did my powerlifting, and I did my Olympic weight training because I knew that each one had something. So I did everything, I found a way to get everything mixed. But I gotta tell you that we went like this on that. And the answer, the long answer to the short question is stabilize the training because your core is the bridge and you cannot transmit energy, okay, through an unstable wobbly bridge. So if you're if you're unstable and you can't apply forces, you can't transfer forces. And if the core's job is to stabilize the spine and transfer forces from the hips to the shoulders, then the core has to be stiff, that environment has to be stable. Okay? Even if you're surfing, you don't think a surfer is stable on the on the wave? He is. Okay? Because he's learned how to how to use gravity how to use coefficient of friction, how to use acceleration, how to use conservation of angular momentum, all these physical laws that I don't know anything about, okay? I know a little bit about them. Okay, all these laws that stabilize a system when it's in dynamic motion or when it's in motion. Dynamic motion is, uh, uh, you know, redundant, right? So stabilize. That's why do you think I got the Smith machine? Because I can do single leg from the ball of the foot takeoffs repeatedly with the Smith machine because I can't stabilize that point of push-off. I can't stabilize it. I can't balance it. So if I get underneath a Smith machine, voila, I can stabilize that moment the foot hits the ground where I'm driving off the ball of the foot. So now I love certain machines because they can stabilize a, a position, all right, that's very, that's impossible to stabilize without motion. Okay, so stabilize your positions if you really, really, really want to transfer uh, the, the the core energy that you that you need to transfer for high performance. Sorry for the long response, but here's the context, guys. When somebody says something, when you see something in men's fitness, when somebody says, "Oh yeah, this is hottest shit now," like for example, cold plunging, uh, dry needling, <laughs> uh, uh, cupping, and all this shit, this is this is. 
this has been revolutionized now, okay? They're popularized now. It's all a bunch, in my opinion, a bunch of bullshit. Can you get some science that proves a small portion of that? Yeah. But I think what's happening is we're abusing the body more and more needlessly. So we're coming up with new trends, all right? And since, since if you don't stop brutalizing and abusing the body, you'll never get recovery. Then one cold plunging, now two cold plunging. Before it was three minutes. Now it's seven minutes. Now it's 10 minutes. Before it was, you know, 55 degrees. Now it's 45 degree water. It's like, where are we going to stop? Where are we going to stop with all the bullshit? You don't need all this shit. Stop abusing the body. Get your training higher intensity of lower volume so you can recover. And you're going to create Rocky Marcianos. Where was Rocky Marciano when all the cold plunging was, was going on? Guess what? It wasn't going on. That's why Rocky Marciano was Rocky Marciano. And on and on and on. All right? Well, before you get into the next question, we have one of the questions here. <coughs> then with the whole abusing and doing more... What's your thought on doing longer rounds, longer sessions for, oh, I guess, overdoing the event? So if you have a three, five-minute round, why are these guys doing ten five-minute rounds during sparring? During Because they're friggin' idiots. Have you ever seen a 400-meter run 800 meters or a mile? No. Have you ever seen a miler run five kilos, five kilometers for, for training for the mile? No. Why? Because it's all about getting to an intensity and holding on to that intensity. It's not training a lower intensity for a longer period of time because your event is shorter. So no, higher intensities for a shorter for a shorter period of time and then try to maintain that intensity for the desired time. That's the approach. Okay? We've already tried that. You want to know where we tried? Try to see history. Try to look at history. If it's been done historically, then find a way why why it worked then, because it worked. Find what the variables were and manipulate those variables. Here's an example. Um, there was a there was an organization, an MMA organization that opened up in Japan by the name of Pride, P R I D E. It took a bunch of great rest, uh, great fighters from the uh, from uh, UFC. Had some great fighters, had stadiums filling in with 100, 110,000 people in Japan. Okay? Big money. It was a 10-minute round and then a 5-minute round. That's how they spread their, their, their 5 minutes. What happens? UFC buys Pride over. Okay? And invites some of their best guys over to UFC and kills the people that sucked. Okay, great. What happened to those fighters? Predictably, with 90% of the fighters that came in to the UFC had problems in the first round. Why? Because they were used to fighting a slower 10-minute round. And when they got into the UFC, that pace was up, boy, because they knew they were getting a minute rest. All of them sucked wind. Few, a few survived and then became great UFC fighters. But all of them sucked wind at the very beginning. When you get used to 10-minute rounds, it's not of the intensity of 5-minute rounds. It can't be. It can't be because energy is limited. So either you let it, you spread it out over 10 or you compress it during 5. Don't do more rounds than you're used to. You know what's going to happen? You're going to lose and you're going to feel fresh. That's what's going to happen. You're going to go, I could have gone 3 more rounds. That's your friggin' problem. You didn't put that energy into the three rounds you had because you trained for six rounds. Stupid. Okay, same thing happens for five rounds. Why are you doing seven minutes? You're going to spread your energy over seven and you're not going to hit that high intensity for five. You got to train specifically, specificity of training. 
Do not do over minute rounds and do not do over round fights. It's a waste of time, more abuse on the body, more chance to get hurt, and you're not doing yourself any favors. When you're when you're spacing out the circuits, and I know I've got a couple questions, what's that ballpark that you like to go over? I know sometimes we have some guys that have more stations uh, than others. Some guys have mastered their, their circuit. So do you like five and some change? Do you like it under five? Do you like five on the dot? What do you try to aim for in, the, in that ballpark? We try to uh, no more than six because the way we do it, we used to do five-minute rounds. <clears throat> and then what we said, you know, what if when we got into the psychomotor vigilance and all that stuff, I go, what if we pre-fatigue every round? Because every round starts tired except the first one, mm-hmm. right? And why not start the first one tired? Just just get used to going into rounds tired, all right? I prefer that. So we threw in a 30-second pre-fatigue on since we have Versa Climbers and we think Versa Climbers is the best equipment out there, uh, shout out to uh, Brett Collins from uh, Versa Climber. We're going to sample the new one. They got a new model. Woo! Baby. We're going to rock and roll. Wait till you see what's coming out. But anywho, we got 30 seconds. We pre-fatigued that. So then we want five minutes. So we love our circuits like uh, Gregory Rodriguez right now that's finishing 530, 535, 530, 530, 535, 530. Because he's compressing what used to take him six minutes into 535. Half of that, we're not even counting. That's pre-fatigue. And then he can give us a full banging five-minute round. So he knows how to he knows how to manage his energy over a hard five minutes. And that's part of the training. You got to learn how to manage your energy. All right. Let's go top top right, right over there. Top right. Hello, JC. This is uh, from Carlos uh, Amendi. Okay, Tamendi, Tamendi. Uh, hello, JC. Uh, which uh, for which purpose would you use the T push up and the crossover push ups? Uh, T push up. I'll, I'll give you the biomechanical, you know, professional thing. T push ups is for cat multiplanar scapular stability. Because you have this, 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 this. So you go from sagittal plane to frontal plane. And the way you go through there is the transverse plane. So it's multiplanar scapular stability. That's what the T push-up gives you. The regular push-up just gives you sagittal plane. One is better for pre-fatiguing. So that's why the push-ups are all part of the metabolic chest where the T push-ups do not. Why? Because all of this has a long rest period. So what's good for the gliding scapula is not good for the metabolic endurance needed of a muscle if you're just persistent in the same in the same plane and, and doing multiple reps. So those are those are my two approaches to using uh, two good two good exercises: the push-up and the T rolls, or the T push-ups. Uh, the uh, the Anibal, here he is. Do you ever use anterior tibialis exercises, dorsiflexion? And the answer is no. Because a lot of the running, walking, and that kind of stuff uses the anterior anter tibialis. They're constant. They're 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 always just um, mostly eccentric. So it's to it's to slow down the the when you strike the heel to slow down that ball of the foot plant. That's anterior tibialis. Break 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 when you're running heel to toe. When you're picking up. When you're picking up, the anterior tibialis picks up the foot so it can clear the floor. How much strength do you really need to pick up your foot in a running cycle? Eh, not much, so it's not going to get a whole lot of uh, a lot of work from us. So the answer is not, I don't do a whole lot of uh, targeted anterior tibialis work. 
All right, how much coaching is too much coaching? Is there a limit? That's a pretty good question. How much coaching is too much coaching? Okay, there you go. Optimal coaching is the same thing as optimal strength, where more coaching doesn't improve performance. So always train, coach the way you train. What do we ask you to do? Always find what is the minimal training you can do for maximum results. Not maximum training you can do for the same results. Can I do more? Yeah, yeah, you can do more, but if doing more is not going to improve you, why do more? You need the energy for other things. Recovery would be one of them. <clears throat> That's it. So if you can whisper, don't yell. If you can do a sentence, don't say a paragraph. Measure your words and measure what you're trying to say and the intonation. You can You can motivate somebody by getting close to them and saying, Listen, look at me. Look at me. Listen to me. This is the moment you've been waiting for. All this training, all right, all this training that you've been doing lines up right here, right now in front of you. The decision you make right now is going to determine the man you're going to be the rest of your life or the person you're going to be the rest of your life. Okay? Do what you're trained to do. You understand me? You, you have somebody talk to you like that that you respect. If, if that doesn't motivate you to freaking go out there and kill somebody, then nothing will. I'm, you can't slap my face and motivate me. So if you slap my face and try to coach me pissed by off. slapping my face, you're actually distracting me because I'm going to be pissed off at you and not even think like, like I'm going to be thinking like, what the hell? What the hell are you doing? Why did I choose you as a coach? Why are you, why are you in front of me? And that takes my mind away from the competition. So if I'm already, number one, questioning you and then questioning me, how I put you in that position... All right, then I'm, I'm not even I'm not even thinking about the competition. So you can't slap me. I'm not that guy. Not that I'm a badass. Or is that, that, that's not what I respond to. I respond to intense, intelligent, compassionate messages. That's how I respond. And if you whisper in my ear, whew, that's when I that's when I want to kill. That's when I want to kill. Yelling me, you know that that ha yelling has its place. Okay, because if you got to yell to cut through the noise, then you got to yell. You, if you're in the corner and twenty feet away, you go, "Son, this is the moment. You can't, you can't be here. You can't. You then you got to scream." But there's a there's a moment uh, and place and time for all of that. Knowing that is the coaching. You know, too much hoopla, too much drama just adds drama to the situation. And before he gets into the next question, Enable. I've seen it. Obviously, I've been here for 22 years. I've been here since I've been joining the floor with him. Um, for example, with Gregory Rodriguez's camp, I've seen different versions of him coach Gregory because we saw different versions of Gregory. A tired one, a, a focused one, um, different, different times of the day and everything. And he adapts to different people. I had to take him for a week or a weekend while he was in, I think, Chicago mm -hmm. uh, with Perform Better. And, you know, him and I more have a brother, you know, energy where him and I sort of do like to get a little, get a little louder. He's more of the guru. So it also depends on knowing your person, knowing what mindset they're in or mind state that they're in and adapting to that. It doesn't just go with athletes. It also goes with your day-to-day -day clients as well, too. So being in the moment is, is huge. Um, and knowing your person and, and what really clicks with them. Some people do like the slap. Some people do like that, like the football players. They'll get slapped before the game, but I wouldn't even say that's coaching. I think that's something, I think that's something different. I think it's just, I don't even know that's, what that, that really is. Well, that's, that's motivating cheerleading, which a coach 
has to motivate too. A coach doesn't only give direction and instruction. A coach has to motivate. But do you do you motivate through screaming or do you motivate through garnishing respect and then requiring somebody in a compassionate way, lifting them up to do what you've asked them to do, what they asked you to prepare them for. When you present it that way, you're really not telling them what to do. You're reminding them what they need, what they promised to do. And so, see, there's a difference. You're reminding them what they promised they would do. So you're holding them accountable. And when you say, I believe in you, you promised this and now it's your time to deliver? Shit, man, look, that gives me goosebumps. So I believe it. So when I believe it, I don't have to yell it. Okay, now, if I have to cut through the noise, I'll yell it. But for example, Gregory, he peaked early. He peaked early. He, he was slow, slow, slow. So I said, oh, shit. Let me give myself a long power endurance phase because I don't know if this guy's going to come out of this funk. He was in a little funk after getting knocked out and yada, yada, yada. He was got sick. So he was really, I'm going, Papa, how are you doing? He would say, oh, I'm good. I go, no, no, you're not good. Look at me. You're, you're not here. What's wrong? He goes, no, I'm good, coach. I don't know if he didn't know what was wrong or didn't want to tell me. Whatever. Didn't matter. Bottom line is, we knew it wasn't him. He was somewhere else. He made a turn. <laughs> he made a turn real quick, and he ramped it up, and he was ready to go last week. So if you hear my tone in the last two Saturdays here and in the last two weeks with him, I brought it down. I said, like, listen, you're ready. Uh, just like this, you're ready. So we need to slow it down. Okay? We don't go down. We just slow it down. And so we can peak for fight. If not, you're going to peak early. See how I'm talking? Now you're going to peak early. Okay, Papa. Okay, baby. My Papa, you know, it means my boy, you know. Okay? All right. You're doing awesome. You're doing awesome. Slow down. I need you resting. Bring it down. And then we're going to pick it up the last two weeks. Okay? All right. Here we go. See that tone? That's when I bring it down. Because he's already like this. What? A, what? A, just keep yelling at him? And now we would have been ready now. And he would have been two weeks out. So, no. That's, that's how coaching has to be uh, delivered and has to be thought of. All right, Aníbal, is there anything we can do as trainers to improve cervical spine function? Yeah, don't fuck it up. <laughs> I'm not shitting you. Okay, so think about it. Cervical spine function. All right, so let's... You're talking about optimum performance. Okay, so, so before we know what this is, we got to know what this is. All right, so what are we trying to prevent? Some kind of what? Dysfunction. Okay, talk to me more about what. Why do you have a dysfunction? You have dysfunction because you have what? Some kind of injury. Okay, what are the injuries? At the neck. What are the injuries? Fractures? No. Pulled muscles? Yeah, they, they fix. Herniations? Because they're so it's so mobile. All right, great. Herniations. All right. What's herniation? Okay. Bam. A, a disc just being a bulging out somewhere, right? All right, what normally would, would, would cause that? Some kind of compression, right? So if you're getting the jelly out of the donut, what do you have to do? You have to press the, the, the donut, right? Okay, how's that pressed? From top to bottom. Okay, how, how does that happen? Well, obviously, you know, if you're wrestling, you, you're doing neck bridges and all that. But let's say that you're not a wrestler. And you're not doing neck bridges. And you're not a combat athlete and getting your, you know, your, your head rocked and all that. Well, I would say one of those things is anything that compresses the neck, like heavy squats, where you have a lot of weight at your cervical, uh, at your trap, and your trap comes up to your, to your um, uh, skull and then compresses it down. So that may be something that you want to take a look at. 
All right, so you don't go crazy. However, there's been a lot of people who have done heavy squatting that don't have neck problems. And there's a lot of people who have done no sports, no training, and have neck problems. So is it a direct uh, correlation? No, it's not. But I would say, okay, I don't know where I'm going to lie. Am I going to be one of these people that stays healthy the rest of their life, no matter how much I train? Or am I going to be one of these people that certain training has deleterious effects on me? I don't know. So you know what? I would assume that more of something may harm it. So I'm going to do the minimal amount of squatting, the minimal amount of deadlifting, the minimal amount of heavy, heavy, abusive stuff. Absolutely. I'm only going to do what is necessary. And uh, chances are that heavy triples and heavy fours and fives with three, 400 pounds on anything is not necessary. So I'm going to stay away from that. So I would say, number one, stay away from things that could harm the neck, like heavy compression, heavy shear, you know. And then just, I think by normal looking around and normal function, you give your neck enough mobility and enough training. That's it. Because neck issues are not really a neck issue in you know, in tribes, for example, that all they do is they hunt, they look up, they look down, they look here, they look there, they sleep, they hold their head on, on top of their shoulders. That's all they do. And there's very minimal herniations and, and those types of issues in, in, you know, endogenous tribes. So try to avoid anything that may damage it. Do the minimum amount of that. And then just be conscious of using your neck around and just maintaining range of motion. That's it. It holds onto this bubble and it moves it at about 180, uh, 140 degrees. All right, do that. That's it. There's nothing crazy. Cool. All right, what do you think about using unstable exercises like one-legged squat or one-legged anterior reach? I think those are all good, for, but for what? We thought it was for the proprioceptive aspect of it, the unstable aspect of it. And, of course, everything... Everything you do is proprioception. Even if you're doing something with Smith Machine, it has its proprioception. Maybe you have more load. Maybe you have more load at a specific joint angle. That's proprioception. Maybe you have balance issues. That's proprioception. So unstable balance may have more noise, more proprioception because of the unstable nature. Well, a Smith Machine single leg squat has less from unstable nature, but you have more proprioception from a loading mechanics. So it's all proprioception. It's very specific. So I would use the single leg training, okay, freestanding, anterior reaches, single leg squats, all that, as a good way to strengthen the a, the seven frame. You know, you have your A frame that you squat with, two legs, and you have your seven frame that you run with, that you change directions with, uh, that kind of stuff. So the seven frame single leg exercises are great for strengthening the seven frame, that main hip, and aligning the hip, the knee, and the ankle, boom, so they can direct forces. So for those two uh, exercises, I love the fact that it really has a great adaptation on the seven frame. So beautiful. Good way to train with no weight, no injury. Very effective. Cool. How many times a week are the UFC fighters coming in the weight room? Two to three. Two to three. I prefer three. Why? The more they come in here, the less they're, the, the less abuse they're taking, and we're doing uh, we're doing more and more and more specific work. For example, one of the things that we've noticed, which is crazy, crazy, is that listen to this shit. All right, 
what's the number one rule of training? How people get benefit of a training? Specificity of training, the principle of specificity. What does that principle say? The closer you get to the activity you're trying to enhance, the better the transfer. Optimal transfer is practice of the activity. That's the ultimate transfer. The ultimate. So if you had weight training and do the activity versus practice the activity and do the activity, which one would you take? Practice the activity and do the activity. Why? Specificity of training. Got it? All right. Now, thing is, if you do strength training, you practice the activity, then you get twice as good or at least some percentage better because now you have more strength in your practice and then you're practicing better activity. Got it. All right. So we know that, right? So in order to get good at something, you got to do this something. Okay, good. How many times does a MMA fighter or I'm, I'm training, I'm doing a mentorship right now with uh, um, Matias from California. Okay. Now he, he trains elite boxers. He has like three or four number one ranked uh, uh, boxers in welterweight, um, middleweight, heavyweights. The guy's a genius and, and is very well connected in California with the boxing world. So, and he hasn't even, he hasn't even encountered it. Here's the deal. How many times does a fighter get to practice 100 or 90% punching at a target? Jabs, rights, uppercuts, and hooks. Let's, let's take those. Forget about elbows, knees, and, and kicks. Forget about those. But you can add those too because that, if MMA, that's part of fighting. All right, so just in boxing alone, how many 100% jab, hard jabs, right hands, hooks, and uppercuts do you throw? How many? And the answer is not too many. Why? Number one, you don't spar that hard. Okay. Number two, when you spar that hard, you don't connect clean all the time. All right. So if you can't train all out punching, all right, how do you harden your limbs? Okay. Bone mineral density, ligament, tendon, the whole bit. How do you harden your limbs? Desensitize. How do you harden your limbs? How do you get the VO2 that you need? Because let me tell you, when you start throwing 100% punches, especially if you miss, your VO2 gets challenged in a whole different way, okay? And then how do you practice hidden? How do you develop power, okay? So would you develop more strength working at uh, LA working out at LA Fitness? Hey, what are you doing? Eh, some days, you know, I do legs and I do back and some days I do 10 reps. Some days I feel light and I do 15 reps with lighter weight. Some days, I, you know, I feel like banging and I do three or six win. Ah. Is that periodized? Is that organized? Is that progressive? No. So if you come along with your progressive linear pro periodized or undulated periodized program, you know it would be better, right? Okay. So who periodizes punching power? Who develops punching power in a periodized progressive manner? Who? The answer is nobody. 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 And I know it's nobody because nobody's ever heard of it. Nobody's even heard of it. So what they do is they hit the bag. When they feel like it, they bang three, four, five hard ones. And then when they get tired, they go back to pat, 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 pat. That's what everybody does. Okay? Nobody says, okay, today you're throwing 20, 20 hard rights, 20 hard lefts from from the uh, period, uh, from the um, uh, jab position or from the cross position. Nobody. And then next week, we're going to go 80% for 30 reps. And then we're going to go, nobody does that. That doesn't exist. Well, guess what? We just did it. And we're starting it. And we took Mark Andre. And Friday, we started with him a little bit. It's been the second sessions. He threw 
he threw sets of five punches at about 80 to 90 percent, okay, not even 100, okay, hooks, hooks right, hooks left, cross right, cross left, hooks right, hooks left, that's it, so he throws 10 punches, okay, two limbs, so that's 20 punches, okay, per three techniques, boom, boom, and boom, yeah, three techniques, so how many punches, 20 times three, 60 punches, I checked with him yesterday, which is Sunday, 48 day, 40 uh, hours out. His arms are still heavy. And this is an elite MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. Elite MMA fighter. He's only on his first weeks, which means I may have to drop. Because if he comes in tomorrow and his hands are not super duper, I cannot progress. So I have an eight-week program, and I'm going to have to tweak it, but at least it, it's laid out. So this is... This is how how unsophisticated combat is. No striking coach periodizes punching power on a bag. No one. No one. I learned that from George Foreman about freaking 40 years, 45 years ago. Okay? Just watching him train, he was bam, just repeating, bam, bam. And I asked his his man, what why why is he not boxing? He goes, because he's developing power. We have so many reps today and then so many reps tomorrow. So he's developing power. That's all he wants. Bam. He's not fainting. He's not only just power, power, power. And and here I am 45 years later implementing a paradise program. So specificity is something that's super common. We all know it. And sometimes it's not practiced. Crazy. All right. Cool. Last one. Why pre-fatigue skill training? Okay. You can... You, you don't, okay, you do not pre-fatigue skill learning. And we've even tried that and it worked. <laughs> we've even tried that and it worked. Now, once you have mastery of the skill, you pre-fatigue that and perform the skill. And there is a name for that, um, psychomotor vigilance, which is your ability to pay attention to detail, pay attention and execute details in the presence of fatigue, in the presence of any kind of fatigue, whether it's fatigue from boredom, fatigue from metabolic fatigue, uh, neural fatigue, whatever. When you're like, uh, your ability to stay sharp and implement what you need to implement, whether it's a skill, a thought process, whatever. Psychomotor vigilance. Now, I'll tell you a little story about learning skills in a fatigue state because by the books, by all those books, you're not supposed to do it. All right, so when we're training Spanish River, once upon a time when Alex Jones was a ninth grader, all right, we went in there, uh, my kid goes in there and kicks ass, and the coach is like, holy shit, who, who did you, who trained you? Well, I got a coach, bring him in, and Bagas, and uh, Guerra, uh, oh Coach Guerra and Coach Bagas welcomed us with open arms, and we created what was called, to this day, the Bible, which is a day-by-day from November all the way to February day-by-day bodyweight training that is progressive and we created monsters. So when they said, uh, can you help us? I said, yeah, I can help you from 3 to 3.30. I got to be back to IHP at 4. It's a 15, 20-minute drive. Boom. He goes, well, you know, we start practice at 3. Can you come at 4.30? We end at 5. I go, nope. By 4.30, I am launched into the evening time. 4, 5, 6, 7 o'clock, I'm I'm there. I said, all right, well, 3 o'clock, I guess it is. And we started this training and we absolutely beat the shit out of these kids from 3 to 3.30. And I mean beat the shit out of them. All right? And then they went into their locker room. They had five minutes to bring out the wrestling shoes, tie them up, get some water. And then wrestling practice began. And, of course, to the newcomers, 
they were learning double leg takedowns, single leg takedowns. They were learning wrestling. Well, to make a long story short, you know what happened? They got used to paying attention to details tired. And we knew that because we were losing a bunch of matches. And in the third round or, uh, or a, a third period or second period, we would pin. Which means we were winning to, we were beating more skilled fighters based on conditioning. We're just wearing them down. All right. So there you have it. It can happen. It did happen. And, and uh, I would I would venture to say, I'm not going to say, well, as a rule of thumb, do it. I'm just saying it can be done. So you would have to analyze your situation really well and see if you can get away with it. You know, so all things, um, all things can change. All those book things can change on a on a drop of a dime, bro. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. That concludes this week. Um, tune in this week. I think she's on the early, early prelims. Just get in front of a TV around 6 p.m. We got Jackie fighting early prelims on UFC Fight Night. And uh, keep your prayers up. Damon's opponent pulled out. Staff and Fiction. Hope he's all good and everything. Damon is still flying out to Vegas. We're waiting for anybody to step up. But that boy is in Woo! shape, ready to go. So big shout out, Jackie and Damon, this week. Let's Saturday, go get it. Let's and, go get uh, it. We will see you guys next Monday. Here comes Spanish. All right. Another great episode in the books. Want to appreciate you guys stopping in this week. If there's any topics, any questions you guys want answered, just reach out. Rio at IHBFit.com and I'll make sure JC gets on them.